is the Beyond the Studio podcast, and you're listening to Season 2, Beyond the Studio West Coast Edition. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll share honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. Support for this season comes from Southern Exposure's Alternative Exposure Grant Program in partnership with Facebook's Artist in Residence Program and the Andy Warhol Foundation. You might hear some adult language used occasionally on the show, so please be mindful of those around you and pop in some headphones if needed. This episode is brought to you by Artwork Archive. Artwork Archive is an online platform that makes it easy to manage all aspects of an art career. I know this firsthand because I actually use Artwork Archive to organize and manage my own business. Artwork Archive tracks your artwork, sales, shows, and contacts, automatically builds schedules, and sends you reminders so you're always one step ahead. And for a limited time, Beyond the Studio listeners get 20% off when you get started with their free trial at www.artworkarchive.com beyond. Start connecting with collectors, getting organized, and building your art career now. Before we get started, we'd like to announce a giveaway. We'll be doing a raffle for one of our lucky listeners to win a gift card in the amount of $50 to Flax Art Supplies. If you live in the Bay Area, then you definitely know Flax. They're a favorite among local artists with locations in Oakland and San Francisco. They also have an amazing online store, so this gift card is a great source of free art supplies wherever you live. We're so excited to be giving this away and thankful to Flax for supporting the show. All you have to do to enter is leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Just let us know what you think of the podcast and we'll choose one listener at random to win, which we'll announce next week. If you've recently left us a review, not to worry, we'll be including any new ones from this year in our drawing as well. We'll be announcing the winner in our weekly newsletter next Thursday, February 28th, 2019. So be sure to sign up for our mailing list at www.beyondthe.studio if you haven't already. Thanks again to Flax and now on to today's interview. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are talking with San Francisco-based artist Heather Day, uh, who's a painter and currently calling us from New York City, uh, where she's working on a project. Fun fact, we actually all three of us went to college together in Baltimore at the Maryland Institute College of Art, and it's been super fun to see Heather grow her career out on the West Coast. Um, So we're super excited to talk with her today, and Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to your guys' questions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So even though we were at MICA at the same time, we didn't meet at all. I, at least I don't think we did at any point. I pretty much was just stuck in the basement of main building in the photo department and didn't really leave it too much. But I did get to see you talk at MICA a few months ago, several months ago. And I didn't get a chance to introduce myself because I was in a rush afterwards. But uh, it was it was great to actually see you there. And it was a, an awesome talk. Thanks. Yeah, that was really fun. Uh, Rex Stevens invited me. I guess he's the chair of the general fine art um, practice there. And that was cool because I actually didn't know him that well while I was studying at MICA, but he invited me and it was really another chance to for me to flex my um, public speaking skills as, as we are right now. So it's great. Mm-hmm. It was such a cool opportunity to see you talk about more of the behind the scenes of how you manage your work and your life. And so I was 
very excited to get you on the podcast. Uh, for listeners that don't know who, who you are or what your work is like, uh, would you mind walking us through your creative journey thus far? Yeah, certainly. So let's see. I'm in, uh, I describe my work as non-referential abstract energetic paintings, and I live in San Francisco. I've been there for, wow, let's see, five and a half years now. And my work has evolved quite a bit since I moved there. When I first moved to the Bay Area, I was really fascinated by urban decay and kind of studying the process of upkeep and, and human nature and also just the and how the natural world affects our cities. And my work has evolved quite a bit in the color and expression. And since moving to the Bay Area, um, just the fact that I was already surrounded by water all the time, it's pretty incredible. And that has left a huge impact on my work and um, thinking about my process and how I use water as a medium and kind of a vehicle to move paint around on the canvas. And uh, my work has recently evolved a bit more and um, I'm thinking a little bit more about a little bit less literal in terms of studying the natural world and instead thinking about how um, I can interpret what I'm seeing and how I can turn that into a feeling and bring that back onto the canvas. Uh, A lot of my work is large paintings, uh, but it does range from really small works on canvas to large paintings um, on paper and canvas and then also murals. And I think that shift in perspective, whether I'm traveling somewhere um, away from the studio and having that that shift in perspective or I'm working from small to large has really affected my work as well. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about some of the projects you've been working on recently? Because I know you're doing a mural um, right now as we're talking to you in New York City. Yeah, it's so great to be back on the East Coast. It it just got really cold, actually, (laughs) um, yesterday, and I was a bit shocked. But I'm here in, I'm staying in Soho, and it's been really wonderful to be here. I'm working with Google on the release of the Google Pixel. And in general, I'm just working with the larger department at Google, and I helped them redesign what the Pixel 3 case would look like. And that was a really interesting process because I, being a fine artist, I partnered with a more corporate company and it was a conversation I had to have early on with Google to say like, I'm actually a fine artist that also works with companies and I'm open to hearing your ideas if you'll also um, hear some of mine. And it was a really interesting collaboration and it's, it's still going on, but it started off with the pixel cases and I simply worked on these paintings. I did about 70 of them in my studio on paper and then I scanned the works. It's so crazy to me that I just scanned these works on paper and now it's an international campaign um, that the cases are being sold all around the world. And from there, we also brainstormed on how I could help them bring their uh, Google pop-up space, they're calling it the hardware store here in Soho, how to bring it to life, bring people in and also get them thinking beyond just like a, a product and thinking about a different type of experience. Mm-hmm. This is not your first big business collaboration or partnership. How did you kind of get started with that? Or, or I guess that includes the spectrum <laughs> of like sponsorships and, the, you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a complex story. How much time do you have? <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have so many questions each. But yeah, take us back to when you first moved to San Francisco, maybe. Like, what did your life look like? And how were you starting to proactively see? out these collaborations if you were or how did they start to come to you just like what were the very early days like 
Yeah, that's that's a great place to start. So let's see. I moved to San Francisco five and a half years ago, and I moved there, and I didn't have a job. I was fresh out of MICA and trying to figure out how, you know, I don't come from money, and I suddenly had a tremendous amount of student debt to um, start paying off or figure out how to tackle that. And at the same time, I, I needed a job. And while I was studying at MICA, I had a bunch of jobs. I was a bartender. I worked at Terps. I don't know if you guys know it. Uh, I, I worked at Pacino's right next door. <laughs> oh, crazy. Yeah. So I helped open Terps Sports Bar. <laughs> and I did oh pretty God. much everything um, at there. And I also worked at a furniture store in Fells Point called Sukasa and did everything from sales on the floor to helping them um, do some graphic design that I, I would say I'm very much an amateur at. So um <laughs> I felt a little bad about that, but I guess it worked out. (laughs) And then towards my uh, senior year at MICA, I actually got a role as a um, contractor for the Smithsonian where I was helping install large-scale installations for the African-American exhibit there. And that was pretty crazy because I I actually, I love this story. And I I mean, I'll try to keep it short, but I basically, I got the job because from bartending and I was kind of fed up with my job, no offense to Terps. And I, there was this one gentleman that would come to the bar all the time and we just would bond over watching soccer on lazy Sunday mornings. And one day I just told him I was kind of fed up and I needed something else to do over winter break. And he was like, you know, we might have some openings at the Smithsonian. He worked in the graphic design department and he really (laughs) hooked me up with a position there. And I ended up uh, being Enrique Oliveira's assistant on site. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, but he's a Brazilian artist that does very large scale wooden installations. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, really incredible, um, ambitious mm-hmm. man. And we've since stayed friends. I actually, he came to my solo show back in May and that was really cool and came by the studio for a visit and really oh, cool, wow. humble guy. But anyway, so I I was living in uh, Baltimore. I moved to San Francisco and then immediately needed to get a job. And I got a job at the design center selling furniture for an outdoor furniture company called Janice AC. And that was a really incredible opportunity because I was given a chance to understand business and how sales work and get another view at the world, really. And art school was great. It was kind of a break from everything else. Um, And I was able to really dive into my process as an artist. There was kind of a reality check when I graduated and realizing I had a lot to learn about how I was going to actually make a living off of my art. Yeah. So yeah, I got I started working at the design center. And while I was doing that, um, I was maintaining a studio practice in the evenings. And I was working with a few small galleries and selling my work and also uh, working on using uh, social media as a tool to help build my following and um, develop sales that way. And how did that idea come about for you? Like, were you seeing other artists in the Bay Area that were doing that? Or is this just something that you like saw a lot of potential in? I'm curious how that idea started to evolve for you as like, this is the place where I should focus my efforts on uh, as far as marketing and just growing uh, a following in order to lead to other opportunities. Um, Because I... I feel like having the kind of unique perspective of getting to follow you in your work over the years and see how that's grown for you. I didn't really feel like I saw a lot of artists, uh, certainly within our peer group, that were doing that. And so I'm curious, like, how that idea came to you of, like, this is where I need to be spending my time and here's how I'm going to go about doing it. Yeah, that's a great question. I was, well, when we were in college, you know, we, 
Were we all three in the same class, 2012? I graduated 2013. Okay, I was like, I, I don't remember. I took a year off between college, so I think we're all the same age. Okay, cool. So yeah, while mm-hmm. while I was there, uh, I was also kind of using Pinterest and Blogspot or Blogger. Uh, it was what it was then. I, I deleted it years ago now, but I was kind of fascinated by this other online community, and I started sharing my work that I was creating in the studio on those platforms and um, having really interesting criticism and dialogues with that community. And it was people that I never met, and I'm actually still kind of Facebook friends with some of them. Um, they were much older than me, and we were just having really thoughtful conversations that, you know, art school was great. Being in college, you're kind of surrounded by in my mind, it was a very like-minded community, and I felt like I needed to branch out and talk to other people about what I was doing. And so I was making sure to pin things, and I was building a website. It was really bad, but it you know, <laughs> it worked for the time being. And then I also had, I think I had an Instagram account by 2012, but it was a private account that I took photos of to then look at later and um, figure out what to do next with my painting. So it was kind of my own critique platform rather than something I would share with a larger audience. And then mm-hmm. when I moved to San Francisco, I was really fascinated by, I mean, we're surrounded by tech there. It's And it's I see it sweeping across the nation now. But when I moved there, it was pretty crazy to um, drive over the Bay Bridge for the first time and see all these billboards for startups and companies I've never heard of and also feel like, oh my God, I'm moving to the internet. <laughs> all the big tech mm-hmm. companies are here. I didn't know they had real homes so yeah, I guess that that really left an impression on me in terms of understanding, I guess, how the internet works, how the world works, and how we can leverage the internet as fine artists or, or in whatever practice we're in and use that as a tool to um, branch out to other communities that might be artists that are interested in your work or artists that can provide feedback on your work or you can do the same for theirs or um, people that are going to help you make a living and, and buy your work and support your practice and understand it. So when I first moved to the Bay Area, I was uh, newly single. I didn't know very many people. And me being an introvert, it kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone right away where I realized I needed to start building my own network there. And I started following a wide range of people, everyone from like fashion bloggers to art curators, and kind of watching what they were doing. And I felt like everyone in the Bay Area was approaching Instagram very different than they were on the East Coast. And it was a much more serious thing. And Mm -hmm. so I started feeling like Instagram needed to be something I needed to uh, seriously update like I would a website and, you know, update a portfolio. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk about the kind of growth that you started to experience there? Like at the time where you, it, it sounds like you were viewing it as this platform that could lead to potential opportunities. And I mean, now it seems like that certainly played out. So I'm interested to hear about what the current dynamic is like and relationship that you have working with different brands, but kind of going back to when this was just first starting out uh, for you, like what were some of the first opportunities that started to come your way that came about through social media? Yeah. So the first opportunities that came my way were actually just through small gallery shows. Um, One show I had was at 
I think it's still around. It was wall gallery and it's in Oakland and it happens during first Fridays and it's literally a wall to the other galleries. It's like a hallway. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And that was my first show in the Bay Area. And um, I came across that wide open space. I met this guy that was kind of running it and he's also a painter and it was open and I was like, let's take advantage of this. This is great. And so the next month um, I had my work on that wall and invited other people to come see it. So I would say it was my first opportunities were offline and several of them were because I didn't have a large following and I wasn't able to leverage that yet. And I was still building it and figuring out how to use it as that tool. And then as that developed, I started connecting with other local galleries. At the time it was, let's see, Athen B Gallery, which is now part two gallery in Oakland. And I kind of came to them well, the timeline is so distorted for me, but let's see. Athen B Gallery invited me to show in a group show, you know, little things like that. And I made an effort to, I remember like Guerrero Gallery um, before they switched to, I made an effort to go show my face at these galleries. And it was kind of in- intimidating really to go to these places alone and not know anyone and walk around and look at the art and then either try to have a conversation with a stranger and then walk out (laughs) and then do it again the next month and hope some people start to recognize you you know yeah and I was it wasn't just that I wanted people to know my work necessarily because I'm not sure my work was in a place where it was totally ready to be shown but it was just that I was craving my people. I was craving that same sense of community I had built in Baltimore and you know other cities I've lived as a kid. I felt like the galleries were the place to go. And then from there, you know, building a social media following, that's like a very complex, that's probably an entire other podcast, but it really was about um, reaching out to those communities, getting them to share your work and sharing their work and having an open conversation about the direction that you're heading together. And also I submitted my work to a lot of art blogs, um, everything, you know, I was working in the design center selling furniture also. So I would talk to interior designers all the time and share my work with them. You know, they would be picking out, it probably sounds manipulative, but they, they, they would be picking out swatches for their outdoor furniture. And I'd say, let me help you with that. I'm actually an artist. And mm-hmm. kind of claiming that I was an artist and really owning it because I had a I had a, I would say it's a full-time practice regardless of having another full-time job at the time. I was spending so many hours in the evenings and the weekends, it added up to another full-time job. And so leveraging that, meeting people in person, and then also using that online and reaching out to different blogs and submitting my work and trying to get them to share it. And then after a while, it it kind of snowballed, to be honest. You know, some weeks I was getting like thousands of followers a week or a day even, and it just kind of kept going. But There's a lot of hard work that went into it, and it was often Mm -hmm. sometimes a distraction from the studio practice, which is luckily something I've been able to get away with recently um, in terms of setting it aside and allowing social media to be a tool and and just that. Mm -hmm. I have so many questions from that. (laughs) I have a hard time, and I think a lot of people do, with setting boundaries when it comes to technology. It's so easy to get sucked into it, and especially when you're using something like Instagram as a tool for your work, but it also is this very social thing where you can just get sucked into like responding to people or commenting back or, you know, whatever. How do you kind of set boundaries for yourself to keep that balance so you're not just like working on your phone all day? (laughs) <laughs> and able to make time to actually make the work. Let's see. Well, I haven't been on my laptop this week much. This is the first time I've opened my laptop. And so all the work I've been doing has actually pretty much been from my phone because I've been working so mobile and remote at the moment. 
But Mm -hmm. by saying I'm working from my phone, I'm actually barely opening Instagram. I'm mostly opening my email. I have a team that helps me and I'm communicating with them on whatever um, galleries we're communicating with, who we owe images to, whether it's a collector, an art consultant, a gallery, or even a brand that we're talking to. Um, So we're kind of dividing and conquering at this point. And at first I kind of thought it's it's kind of strange when you first hire help and, and delegating, which is, that's something, it takes time and practice. <laughs> oh yeah, I have questions about that later. <laughs> <laughs> My team is incredibly patient with me considering I'm, I'm very busy and I just, they ask a lot of great questions that helps move things along faster. But we use things like, uh, we communicate on Trello um, that helps us like organize our day-to-day. So I get calendar invites from one of my assistants who um, helps manage um, everything we have going on that day and any reminders I might need. And then we communicate everything through um, Slack and that's like our online messaging. So I'm mostly on my phone using Slack, Trello, email, and then Instagram is just one of those components that is a tool to share everyone, share what I'm working on and also communicate with that same community I've talked about building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How well, since we just talked about it, how was the process of bringing on an employee or hiring an intern or, or you know, just having another person that you're working with? Yeah, like at what point in your practice did you feel like, okay, this is the moment where I need to start bringing out some help? And was that like a studio assistant? Was it more of an admin assistant? Yeah, so the first person that I brought brought on to help me was technically an intern, but in California, which is, this is a wonderful law, it's actually illegal to have an unpaid intern. So this was somebody, awesome. someone that I paid. I liked calling her an intern because, well, I joked that we were both learning, you know, and it was kind of an internship for both of us. And it it really, it was an internship that I needed someone that was open-minded to not knowing what was going to be next and open-minded to less like normal hours. And it was very unpredictable because I wasn't totally sure I could afford paying her. You know, it was something I was trying out and I had to be oddly kind of, I had to be transparent about that and just say like, I need some help. I'm buried. Like if you can commit a few hours a week, that would be amazing. And um, this is our budget. And and that's that's how it started. And since then, I now have two assistants. Um, one is a studio assistant um, that comes in the studio, helps wrap up paintings. Uh, the main the main role that we do is uh, documenting the work and editing the images and communicating with the galleries on the inventory list. And then my administrative assistant overlaps that a little bit with helping deal with inventory and um, making sure everything is getting out in time and everything from booking flights to communicating with galleries or my manager or also my other assistant so there's a lot of overlap in our roles and we wear a lot of hats and we're kind of I always say we're this like small mighty team <laughs> um, and the, but they're all contract positions so these people have their other jobs that they have going on throughout the, the week and it's a big balance of um, respect and understanding like they one of them is also a really talented artist and they all have something else going on so when we can uh, meet throughout the week and discuss what, what I personally need and then um, establish our boundaries and also our overlap of projects. That's when it's a good week. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any specific advice regarding bringing on an employee or an intern? I guess the biggest advice is to be upfront about what you're willing to do um, and what your goals are. But also, I typically interview about eight to ten people now when I when I'm choosing an assistant and or a man. I also have a manager who I haven't talked about yet. But I make it a very strenuous interview process because I found it's really good to know what's out there. Like 
and I've interviewed these incredibly talented people, talented artists that are also looking to get a peek at the process and understand a lot of the business. And But it's really about, I don't know, I have friends that I can't be roommates with, you know, and just like meeting a good amount of people and then kind of narrowing it down has been most important to me and has helped my team um, communicate better and taking that that first hiring process very seriously. I don't know. That's a tough one. <laughs> Other than that, that's um, but communicating is big and and saying your expectations up front, and then also um, being willing to let go of those and share new ones, and and making sure everyone's on the same page has been important. Yeah. Well, this is all very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know Amanda's been at a. Point. I'm at that stage where I'm like, I really, I really need help, but I have no idea if I can afford it, and also like, can I invite a stranger into my home? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do that. I, I I do that when I first hire people because I I live and work in in a um, live work loft in San Francisco, so it's mm-hmm. it has to be someone I trust that I'm giving keys and that um, security. I have a security system and giving them all those details and slowly. But you know, you don't have to do it all at once. Like I don't give the keys out right away. It, it takes right. um, a couple weeks or a couple months before we get to that point and establish that trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you? set boundaries between the live and the workspace once again just all selfish questions that I I want to know how other people are doing it uh because I also am in a like I am in my studio and then that doorway is to my bedroom how do you know when to clock out and like chill oh man I mean if you know better than I do please share because it's I I think there was a, a good there was a good six weeks to this year where I was like the weekend warrior and I was not doing any work on the weekends and any work there was probably like a little bit trickling in, but I was pretty good about it and I got away and my partner too, he works a lot and he's a musician and designer and, but it got to a point where my weekend started Sunday nights became stressful because I was saving it all for Monday. I felt like I was living a lie of like being able to claim every weekend, to be honest. But it's a reality of being a painter or being an artist, um, being self-employed. Um, you have to work a lot of hours. And to me, it's really worth it. But, you know, I've, I've made a lot of sacrifices. I don't get to see my friends as much as I do. But it's a balance because, you know, I've found the friends that understand have become the really good friends that I value and the, the friendships that I cherish. But you have to, especially the first couple of years, I've always said it was really great that I was even single for a while because I didn't have time for a relationship. You know, I was, I had to be selfish and I really had to um, make time for what I wanted in this world and this life and build on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like at this point, you really have kind of tightened up the business end of your work as an artist. Like you have all of these systems, you have a great team that's working behind you to make all of these projects happen. Have you always approached your art practice with that mentality? Because um, I think for a lot of artists, those skill sets aren't as native. And so, you know, it's kind of making up that balance and filling in the gaps in knowledge when it comes to learning how to sustain your practice as an artist. And that's kind of like at the heart of what the podcast is about. And also what we've been having conversations with a lot of other artists about is how they're growing that part of their life and kind of managing their time between the creative work and the work that happens outside of it. So I'm curious, like if that was always something that was as much of a priority for you as your painting and also just how you were starting to 
build in these practices and these systems into your work? Like were these things that you were learning from working with the interior designers or like through other resources that you were seeking out? Um, Just like how are you building that knowledge base? I've always kind of had a solid work ethic. I'm a hard worker. I actually think it goes back. I'm dyslexic. I I grew up with learning disabilities. And when I was younger, um, sometimes I had to take a test twice to then compare my answers because I would flip the letters and I just, I was nervous about the test too. And I just wasn't, it was better to just check it twice, to be honest. And I always took that with me in high school and college and in my career now. And I was joking with a friend the other day that I, I recently realized that my grades in college did not matter. (laughs) You know, no one, no one cares about what my GPA was. and, And I really cared about that. But I think there is some underlying beauty there in that like I worked really hard and I you know I I was very weird I kept track of my hours in the studio even when I was in college and that was really important to me because I was very curious about how I can make a sustainable career and as I've gotten older I'm not like a natural planner I really don't Um, when my business manager when I first brought her on she was really shocked that I was just sending my invoices through random Google Docs and it wasn't there were no invoice numbers (laughs) let's just say and uh, we had to really organize a system and I talked about how I just want a system that won't interrupt my practice. I really want to paint more. Um, I'm obsessed with painting. It's why I do it in business. And and we're talking about social media and business. All those things are so complex and can take away from the practice. And so my goal has been to get as organized as possible and to develop a team that can help me paint more. And in doing that, I've been able to really leverage that and use those tools Mm -hmm. to help me um, have the space I need. My team when I'm, when I'm in the studio, uh, my team knows that I'm mostly on in the mornings and I don't communicate in the afternoon. And there are exceptions, but um, they they don't expect responses from me uh, mid-afternoon because that's my favorite time to paint. And up until sunsets, they won't get anything because I cherish the last bits of light. I, I'm very sensitive to color and sunlight, um, natural lighting is really important to, to my process. And then they'll usually get messages from me late in the evening. And so I've had to really separate the difference between um, networking and, and business and all of these things and and realize like what my main goal is and it's so easy as someone that's self-employed as an artist to mm-hmm. get burnt out and swept away with all the details and the reality is I just want to paint you know but enabled to, to be able to do that and to have that privilege I have to work really hard to have that balance I don't know if I answered that question. Did I stray away from that? (laughs) Yeah, I think it is really insightful. And that's, you know, what most artists' goals are, to be able to have more time in the studio. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, often the other end of it gets neglected. And it's really that those systems and that business background that is key to making it all work together and really enabling you to spend more time in the studio. So I know it's a necessary part of our work and life as an artist, but it is really easy to get caught up in all of that too. So it helps to hear what you have to say just about being really clear about what your priority is and then having everything revolve around that. Um, or really trying to set all of these things up in a way to ultimately allow you to have more time in the studio versus taking on all parts of the business yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I also have to say, like, I get distracted too. I'm not saying I'm on this. The obsession of painting still, Mm -hmm. still escapes me sometimes where 
I think it's an endurance. If I haven't painted in a few days, I'm not warmed up. My my mind and my body isn't ready to be there. And I'd almost rather um, email, to be honest. Like it's almost easier to to put on, you know, turn on that side of the brain than it is to to tap into something, you know. At least my work, and as for you guys, I'm sure it's very personal. And to to switch over from talking with a, a big company, let's say like Facebook, and then to switch an hour later and then go back and be like, okay, I was thinking about that one sensory interpretation when I when I closed off the lights, I saw a color. I want to capture that now. Like that is very distant all of a sudden, you know? And so it's mm-hmm. really important aside from, it's so easy to be like, well, you got to separate the business and the personal, but I've found, you know, I need to go on walks or I need to, I've been really fascinated by what, how to track a flow state. Like what's going on when you got into a really good painting? Was it raining? Were you listening to a podcast and then a friend told you something, maybe something good or something bad happened? Like what does that and how can we refuel some of those moments to keep it going and, and take away from the um, the bad parts of like the business of being an artist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about again like going back maybe before you were working full-time as an artist like at what point did you feel you were ready to make that transition what else was going on that enabled that helped to facilitate that move for you? Yeah and I know you've written a few blog posts about this so we can link to those actually if anyone's curious um, because I really like how you share what a year in the life has been like um, marking every year uh, since you've become self-employed so without being too redundant maybe you could share just a little bit about what that has been like for you um, and when you first made that move. Yeah, so I left my job in the design center and I had pretty much exactly $4,000 in my bank account. And if you know San Francisco, you know that that money is gone in like a month. <laughs> yeah, it's just like you snap your fingers and it's gone. And yeah, I lived with three guys that I met on Craigslist in the Mission District, so like central neighborhood of San Francisco. And I was commuting to my studio in Oakland every day. So and then, you know, then just taking the train, getting there, I was watching every dollar yeah. that left left my bank account. I remember I was really burnt out from work and it was weird to be in that position because I actually, I liked the people that I worked with and there were a few moments, but I went to an award ceremony for the company I was working for and I was sitting next to the CFO and he turned to me and said, next year you'll be up there getting those awards for the most sales of the year or something with this furniture company. And uh, it struck a chord I felt like I was good at that. I could keep, I could stay there. And I was really enjoying helping curating the showroom floors and learning about the materials. And I thought, you know, this is how I'm going to use my college education, uh, my art school education in terms of studying the material. And then that's what I was thinking originally. And then when he said that, that was a rough night for me. It was really a big moment for me to realize that this, this wasn't what I set out to do, even though it was working, it wasn't right. And about four months later, I left my job there and I had been working strenuously every night in the studio and the weekends. And in doing that, though, I started seeing an optimistic view of my career and that I was starting to sell my work 
you know, a lot of my works on paper were selling and I was working with small galleries and even some online galleries that I took a risk on because I felt like online galleries were kind of this cliche to me in the beginning. I didn't want my art to be a shopping cart experience like like you would on Amazon now. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. the idea that it was that quick of a purchase really frightened me. And though I've gotten away from working with online galleries, it was a good stepping stone in terms of building my career and making a sustainable income. The online galleries like um, Uprise and Tap and Collective, they were also just starting off. So I was really working closely with the founders of those companies and talking about the work that I was making and we were having these really awesome conversations they've also studied art history and they they understood what I was doing aside from the um you know enterprise that they were building also and so that was a big step and in doing that I also started I was selling my work through my website and when I left my job I actually realized I had never really traveled anywhere on my own and so I decided I was gonna have when I first graduated Micah I was not accepted to any artist residencies I had applied for (laughs) and so I was like well this is my chance I'm gonna have my own artist residency like screw them I'm gonna do my own thing (laughs) and so I decided to travel to Rome and Paris and I went there on a trip and I told people that they could buy I called them blind drawings on my website and there were maybe 10 to 12 slots and someone could go on and purchase purchase a drawing and they didn't know what it looked like and in doing that it helped fund my trip so while I was traveling I would do these small paintings on paper and then I would ship them from wherever I was in the world and I started doing that with every trip that I did whether I was in Paris um, which was actually pretty stressful trying to communicate what I wanted to ship (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. in these strange packages but also and then while I was traveling across the U.S. and camping I would just it gave me a chance to go into these strange towns and access their post offices something so common and mundane but also really beautiful to interact with people locally and tell them what I was doing and that also helped me tell my story with my audience and in terms of building a social following and give them a chance to support me in a small way and help me continue traveling and and learning. That's such a great idea. But yeah, so I keep going off on a tangent, but there were just a few moments though where I had, I was surrounded by encouraging people in some ways and I was putting myself in these situations, but I still Mm -hmm. found that I wasn't pursuing what I set out to do. When it came down to it, I just thought, what else, what do I have to lose, you know? And the first year, I would say two years, it was hard to not walk by cafes and and look at the signs, seeing them hiring and and to be looking at other options. Um, But I really thought I had to give it my all. So instead of taking on another full-time job, I just worked odd jobs where I took on weird freelance positions and continued selling my paintings until that was fulfilling my practice and making it sustainable. How long did it take to get to that sustainable point between leaving the day job and being like, okay, I'm not stressing at the end of every day about my bills. Let's see. So I left my job just over four years ago, and I would say about three years. So I just started feeling a little more comfortable. I actually just paid off my student loans. And Hell yeah. Wow, yeah, I just kind of um, accelerated that that payment program as I was um, working with brands and um, finding a way to leverage that. And that's been the root of the reason I, I work with these companies is, you know, I work alone in the studio most days. So it's kind of 
a really wonderful opportunity for me to talk with other people and collaborate, but it also really gave me a chance to experiment with different mediums in my practice and also do normal things like pay my rent and my student loans and things like that. And now it's it's really changed a lot. Like this year, I'm, I'm building a studio in the desert in uh, Joshua Tree, California, and that's all thanks to the, you know, the incredible brands that I've been able to partner with. And we also sold out my last uh, three shows, which is pretty, oh God, <laughs> pretty crazy and surreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. So it, it just, um, it's been a combination of working with these brands, but also really fighting for what I want to do. And I'm still in that place now. And I think every artist finds themselves in that situation where, you know, I, I now have a chance to continue building on my career and the gallery route is really my the direction and, and what I set out to do here. But I've also had these wonderful opportunities to to flex my creative muscles and working with these companies. Yeah, and that's quite an accomplishment. Congrats on just all of the recent successes that you've had. I've heard you describe working with brands too as these modern day patrons. And I think that perspective is really interesting. And I wonder if you could talk a little more about what that working relationship is like. Like, how did you start to partner together with companies? Were they seeking you out? Were you kind of proactively going to them, seeing these opportunities? Like, how did these collaborations start to come about? Let's see. My first collaborations... Early on, I was working with um, Dropbox. I did a big mural for them, and I had a friend working there. Um, actually, before that even happened, I did a mural at a like kind of a DJ club space called uh, really awesome, a space that's cooler than me for sure um, in the mission. <laughs> and I was given the opportunity, it's called the sub, to paint a mural and just paint anywhere. And that was incredible. And then um, from there, I had Flax Art Supplies connect with me and um, ask me to paint their walls outside. And that was not a paid opportunity either. But from there, I started inviting other brands and companies that started following me on social media and um, through word of mouth, kind of seeing what I was doing and seeing how it might connect to their brand. And that ranges from everything from like a social media post um, that they paid for, like a sponsored post on Instagram or Facebook or any social media platform where they are trying to get access to my audience. I've made mistakes in the past, but in general, I only align with companies that I really feel we're heading in the same direction. And we have a conversation around that. I recently had a call with a company and I had to tell them, I won't say the name, but it was like for basically they make plastic bottles and I was trying to explain to them why it wasn't good for the environment and how I couldn't partner with them. And so I'd like to think I'm very selective now on who I work with. But Mm -hmm. in the beginning, it was really interesting to have a company. In the beginning, I was just shocked that like Banana Republic wanted to do something with me. And it was a crazy campaign where the outfits I picked out were projected across the windows across the world. I had a cousin that was in Paris and saw my face on their window. And oh God. I have to say that was a learning experience because <laughs> I don't think that that is exactly what I set out to do. Um, but it was really interesting to talk with them and work with the company and, and be in a different, you know, I went to LA and I worked with a lot of creatives on that project. And then from there, I learned uh, what I don't want and, and also what I do want. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so, I mean, it's interesting too. When I first moved out to San Francisco, I had a similar like revelation of, wow, there's so much tech here. Like this is the heart of all of these startups and there is a definite entrepreneurial spirit here that I think just 
you know, is really present through everything. But it's also like the heart of all these things that I just feel like don't exist on the East Coast or it's just not as much a part of the like the mainstream conversation or way of working so this whole idea of like leveraging social media to be able to support your work seems like so foreign living in a place like Baltimore or on the east coast but seems like a very like real you know way to to move your work forward out here on the west coast I'm curious like just what the it sounds like there's a lot of trial and error in the beginning were you also talking to other artists or other people who were doing these same kinds of collaborations like how were you starting to learn how to navigate this space of online collaborations? Well, in terms of online collaborations, I actually didn't really know any artists doing it at the time, which is why it was so scary, but I was also fascinated by it. I just thought this is a new territory and it's kind of just, I was approaching it and and this is, it's debatable, but I think brands in a sense can be patrons of the arts and it's good to not confuse that. And it's good to know when a brand is involved, obviously, but I was really fascinated by the idea of how I could leverage working with these companies and and enjoy working with them. It's not just like it's a hassle. It's like they have a budget to pursue a larger project than I would ever imagine and Mm -hmm. they have really talented people on their teams like I I worked with Facebook and you know they gave me really talented designers and engineers that and we partnered and made a a painting come to life you know and that was beyond my wildest dreams or maybe I imagine things like that happening when I'm daydreaming but I didn't know those things could exist Mm -hmm. I can't think at the moment I I would like to credit some artists but I can't think of who else I saw was um, partnering partnering with brands at the time, but now I, I am seeing a lot more artists doing it, and it's really refreshing to know that you can walk that line and you can balance both, and, and just like remind yourself what's important in your practice. Mm-hmm. I have recently, you know, and going back to the whole like leveraging social media, I've been able to connect with an incredible network of artists. I'm not sure that they're well. Some of them have leveraged some brand stuff, but they're also just like doing incredible work, and I wouldn't have known them if it weren't for Facebook or Instagram, like I just went to Andy Dixon's studio in LA and it was just like mind blowing the way he works on these like massive 10 foot paintings on the floor and his like giant white space studio. And I've connected with like Musee Sasse. He's doing incredible abstract houses, uh, house paintings. He's going to like yell at me for this description later <laughs> in, in, in Oakland. And, and he's just going places. And, and Aaron Johnson uh, here in New York City, his paintings are incredible too. And talking with these artists on social media and then getting off that platform and meeting in person is just mm-hmm. such a great place to be right now. And the fact that we can actually actually network in person and, and take take it back to reality. And, and I think I can talk about this now um, because by the time the podcast will be live, but officially this week, like I just accepted a, a two-person show at Joshua Liner Gallery in Chelsea. I'll be showing with um, also Catherine McNaughton, another painter I admire. And these are all people that I've just connected with on social media and we're sharing each other's work with galleries and having like real life conversations. Yeah, that's incredible. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm a little curious, like, what would you say the ratio is um, at this point? 
because you have such this interesting balance between work coming through painting sales and commission projects like murals and occasional sponsorships or brand partnerships. Like what is the ratio coming in for you in supporting your work? I'm sure it changes frequently, but how would you describe the balance between those things? So it really ranges. I think the easiest way to break it down is per week. And so last week uh, before I left town, I was doing the most random things because uh, I'm basically, I'm here in New York for nine days. I go back to San Francisco for two days right before Thanksgiving. And then I come back to New York for a month long residency and then uh, back to SF for a few days and then back in New York for the show. So uh, my schedule's a little bit all over the place right now, and it's mostly based on New York City. But I would say last week uh, was very much, I barely painted, and I was mostly emailing, coordinating with my team everything that needed to be done before we left. But that was because the four weeks prior, I was painting almost every single day. So about five days a week, I would say Mondays are the hardest days for me to paint because that's kind of when all the emails come through. And um, being that I'm communicating a lot with New York and they're on an earlier time zone than me. So when I wake up, I kind of see the emails come through already. But then from there, um, I would say Tuesday through Friday, I'm mostly painting. And then mornings are just like communicating with everyone. Uh, Google has really taken over my schedule the past two months. And so it's really, I mean, it's all over the place anyway, whether I'm working with a brand or galleries. When I had my solo show in May, the last two weeks before the solo show, I wasn't painting at all. I was working on making sure people knew I made the work. And um, we were finishing up documenting all the work, which is incredibly important. If you're passionate about the work, you need to be passionate about the images and get people to take it um, seriously just as much as the paintings in real in, in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how much it makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. it's incredibly and important. If you wouldn't mind sharing just like what the financial split is between those things too, because I found that most artists we talk to that are supporting themselves through their work have multiple streams of income. So even Mm -hmm. if they're selling their work, there's usually some other component that's sort of feeding into that. And I know personally for me too, trying to sell paintings has been one avenue, but you know, mural painting is definitely another like commission projects. And then I've been trying to get a little bit more into public art and wanting to work on larger scale installations. And so that's sort of how I envision the breakup for me of having multiple streams of income coming in through selling paintings, but then also taking on commission projects, maybe in the form of murals, but then also installations. And so I'm curious what that looks like for you because you always are juggling so many different projects. What's like the ratio uh, between those things? If we were talking to Heidi, my manager, she would be able to give you the exact like pie ratio of everything. Um, oh, but, beautiful. <laughs> but I, I can't do that. But I, I can say okay. <laughs> I, I do... Um, Again, it depends on the week. You know, Google has helped me tremendously um, the past couple months, and it's been a great step in the right direction in terms of building this studio in Joshua Tree. But Mm -hmm. I would say, like, my income is is primarily paintings, and some of the brands come in in between um, the shows to and and help a lot with more of the experimenting behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see in terms of the sculpture work or the AR stuff that I'm still um, playing with that I'm not quite ready to release. But Mm -hmm. I, I do rely heavily um, on my painting practice primarily. However, that has changed a lot. You know, in the first couple years, I was, it was probably split, but both were kind of hit or miss. You know, some months I sold some paintings and some months a brand would come to me and 
it was all just such a new territory for me to explore and figuring out what I was going to charge and um, what type of conversations and what type of projects they wanted to bring me on for. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Do you have any uh, tools or resources? You mentioned some already, but any other ones that really are helping you continue to, I guess, learn more about business and being better about running yours or like just keeping it running efficiently or keeping your life sane? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was just talking with um, with Joshua Liner about SketchUp actually. And I was like, oh, another program I need to learn (laughs) in terms of like the gallery layout and placing paintings in it. But my primary tools, I mean, I use the like Adobe Suite. So uh, Photoshop, Lightroom, less so in design, I let other people do that that fancy stuff (laughs) but um and then I use um like Squarespace for my website and Slack to communicate what am I missing oh and QuickBooks is really great I would say everyone should use QuickBooks (laughs) not sponsored at all (laughs) it's it's such a wonderful thing like I love that QuickBooks knows you know I went to the art supply store and it kind of learns your um what you frequent and and how to label it and then you kind of just go through and check everything off and you got it. And invoicing is no longer for me like a Google Doc, like I said. So, But I do use Google Docs a lot. <laughs> I think you've done a good job of sort of taking us through how the balance between time and finances and projects and all these things has sort of changed for you over the years and from the point where you decided to make this leap into going full-time as an artist and to how you've grown it um, today and working on all variety of projects with all kinds of big brands and uh, having solo shows throughout the country. So it's been really exciting just to see that growth from, I guess, like somewhat of an outsider's perspective again, like just through the lens of social media. But is there anything that you feel isn't often shared or that you feel like is important to know maybe for artists who are following your journey, um, just like some of the behind the scenes that goes into it that you feel like is important to share that might not be Hmm. as evident of someone who's following your journey in the same way, just through your blogging and through Instagram and Facebook. Damn it, Nicole, it's a hard question to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, We can edit it out if you want at the end. It better be profound. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think... um, While we have you here, it's so so insightful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think I just want to encourage people to... I honestly think people need to get out and look at more art because I'm really concerned that as someone that... It may look like I, I'm on social media a lot, but it's really become this tool and to to connect and to get off and look at it. And it's kind of that same fear I talked about earlier and that art becoming this commodity, like a Amazon shopping experience, like the online shopping cart is really terrifying to me. And I think I'm seeing this whole trend happening right now with places like the Museum, Museum of Ice Cream or Color Factory and creating these experiences. Oh, sure. And the reality is experiences, um, these these curated artful experiences have existed for decades, actually, and they are, are free to go to. And there are a lot of artists that would like have something to say and would like to show their work. And so I would say anyone listening to this podcast to like look at look up like their local gallery and go see what is happening there and maybe have a conversation with the artist, whether they're an artist or not, because I think it's so easy to get consumed and and probably for people that are listening to this that might be following me on Instagram like it's so easy to look at it all and and think about how easy it is and it is easier to just kind of keep endlessly scrolling on Instagram rather than you know going to an opening when it's raining but I'm not sure 
how we can continue growing and learning from that. And so I would just say, like, reconsider how social media is being romanticized and really get out into the community. That's probably the place we can learn the most. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not a substitute for that real life experience. But I think it's refreshing to hear as someone who's been able to leverage those tools really well in your own life, but is obviously really focused on how that can lead to real partnerships and conversations and opportunities and um, that that's really what it's all about at the heart of it. Yeah, I know that's also like one of the big reasons why we wanted to do this podcast in the first place, like to kind of break down this disillusion that you get through social media of this like perfectly curated existence and it looks so much easier and so much more balanced than it actually is and I think we can really trip ourselves up with these unrealistic expectations and it's also just it you get this detachment when all you're interacting with is the screen and I don't know it's it is important to go out in person and see people and do things yeah go see art. And I I don't want to contradict what I just said, but there are some incredible, (laughs) I mean, we can link them later, but there's some incredible um, like curators on social media now that are using it to highlight other artists. And that's really awesome to see like people talking about art that they went and saw and encouraging other people to get out. So if people are looking, they're like, yeah, I like art or I I love these artists. I never know when they're showing and whatnot. Like there are actually people that have accounts specifically to get you out. So we can also help you with that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, before we go, Heather, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us that you feel like we haven't covered so far? No, I think we've pretty much covered everything, but I I don't know. I feel like I went on these rants about the art world. So (laughs) you feel free to add anything to this. (laughs) It's all good. I look forward to listening back to this episode and like actually fully absorbing it all. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and just being so willing and open to share more of your own story and journey beyond what you already so generously share um, online. Yeah. Happy to do it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. And if you're ever in Baltimore, feel free to hit me up. I will. We can share some wine. Totally. Sounds great. All right. Well, thanks, Thank you guys. So much cool. for being yeah, on thanks the show. for staying up late for us, Heather. Yeah, so fun. Well, Nicole, we'll have to hang out. We live in the same neighborhood. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Well, when you get back to San Francisco for any substantial amount of time, yeah, let me know. Okay, sounds, we can grab a drink in the neighborhood. Sounds great. And that's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of our episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. One last reminder to enter this week's giveaway to win a $50 gift card to Flax Art Supply Store that can be used in store or online by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes and signing up for our mailing list at beyondthe.studio. Fun fact, if you visit their Oakland, California location, you can see a mural painted by none other than Heather Day. You guys are going to hate me. I think, oh my God. So because I've been recording this on my headphones, I think it's just catching me talking. Oh, no, oh, that's no, perfect. That's great. Really? That's you were recording yeah. you? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I almost yeah. had a heart attack. <laughs> I was like looking at this. <laughs> okay. Whew, I need to go to bed. <laughs>